Hey friends, Samuel here. I just wanted to say hey before we started the episode. I hope everything is going well for everyone. It is busy over here in Community Roots land, so um, thank you for being patient with some of these releases and stuff like that. This week is actually going to be a special episode. It is an Unpack That with Mom, which is awesome. So uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. Next week, we are talking about getting back to community roots, and then the week after that being an off-the-beaten-path. So hopefully we get back in a rhythm, but, you know, uh, reality is crazy right now. I'm sure everyone here totally understands that. So thank you for being patient. Um, I, we're so excited where this show is going. And so thanks for joining us on this route into um, a, a new journey. So anyway, I'm not going to take much of your time today. I just wanted to point out a couple quick things. First, please reach out to us if you like what we're saying, if you identify with some of the things that were being talked about, reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at communityroots.pod, or you can email us directly at communityroots.pod at gmail.com. You say it so many times, you know. But anyway, uh, please reach out. We build that community that we talk about. Um, we have such a supportive group of people. We'd love to hear from you. So don't hesitate to, to reach out. Um, I would also say a special thing that if you are one of our viewers who have come in from 94.1 WGRN here in Columbus, let us know. Reach out. You know, that, that was where our beginnings were. One last thing, if you are looking for a therapist, go on over to jhrcounseling.com. It is the website for my mom's private practice, JHR Counseling and Consultation. And on that website, you'll find a whole list of different things that mom covers, different areas of practice that she has expertise in, some of her educational history and stuff like that, as well as a link to this show. So if you are looking for a therapist in the Columbus area, definitely go check her out. She works so hard. She knows so much, and she is such a great person. So just wanted to give her a shout-out before the show because I know she doesn't during this episode. So woot woot, here's your shout-out. Love you, Mom. Um, so everyone else, I will see you next week. I am excited for our upcoming weeks and the topics that we'll be covering. So see you soon. I hope you enjoy this episode. Julie Richards. I'm one of the co-hosts of Community Roots and Off the Beaten Path, and we are back with Unpack That, which we designed as a Patreon opportunity for those who want to learn some deeper dive on certain topics. I don't know if anybody out there has the same challenge I do that I have more books than I have time to read. <laughs> and I don't get through them all. And so I thought it would be a fun way to reflect on the different things that I'm learning, reading, 
um, just to be able to kind of have a compilation of different different things because that's kind of how I enjoy going through books. And maybe there's somebody out there that is interested in hearing about a particular good book, but they don't have time to read the whole book or they want a preview and see which one do I want to spend more time in because it kind of whet your appetite for it. So originally I had thought this would be the current book I'm reading, but as I was thinking about what to share with you and who do I want to um, recommend as an author or a concept that's really important, what's kind of foundational to my understanding of healing and growth. I was actually reflecting on a book that I found many years ago um, out from the meadows um, in Wickenburg, Arizona, where Pia Melody is based, where she began her work. Um, This book, I just happened to come across in the gift shop or their bookstore, I guess would be more accurate. Um, and I thought I would review it today because of specifically how foundational it is in understanding um, healing and even as a lens for how we view the world. Um, at the time of this recording, we are um, following up from everything that happened with the pandemic first, um, the coronavirus has hit the world, literally um, worldwide pandemic that has taken many lives, sometimes um, whole sections of family members um, and causing a lot of grief and pain from loss of life or loss of functioning. And then also economically closing businesses and people that are struggling financially, just an enormous amount of difficulty in quarantine and how that's affecting mental health. And then not too long after that, a month or two into that, we have kind of been reawakened to the pandemic of racism and something that those of us with white privilege do not have to face and think about continually, but the deep history that we have of systemic racism and things that have been hurtful to people of color, but specifically the black community. And then we have all kinds of different challenges with politics, with who should we put in um, positions of authority and in our Um, political offices, in presidency, um, in state leadership, and things like this. And there's all kinds of just energy around all of that, of who should we be listening to, and how are they leading, and we've got right wing, left wing, we've got all kinds of different um, viewpoints that I'm kind of amazed at that people are sure that they are right and that their way is the best way. And someone who feels the exact opposite can be equally as sure that they are um, understanding things the best possible way. So I think it's something that I have reflected on through all of this of what can we go back to in finding health and in finding 
um, a trajectory that can help bring this systemic change that we've talked about on our podcast that is really one of the main reasons why we started it in the first place was to say, what can we do to help change the world? And so the book that I'm going to review now comes from my understanding of the lens that I use whenever I look at whether it's the pandemic or racism or politics, I think in terms of healing trauma, like I'm a trauma therapist and I come from that lens of we all have a story that has started somewhere. And in fact, it goes back beyond just our own birth into um, the history the epigenetics of what happened in utero, but then also what was happening for our birth mother and for generations before, because there's the potential for either trauma to continue on in generations and continue to impact people's lives with pain and with dysfunction, or there's another opportunity for healing and growth and post-traumatic growth that can go on to the generations as well. And so I'm sure it's way more messy than that as far as it's not just one or the other. I'm sure there are um, variations of that. But this book in particular that I want to talk about with you for a little bit here today is one that I recommend because it's so straightforward and easy to understand, but really deep and powerful. And the book is called Growing Up Again. And my copy is the second edition. It is Jean Ilsley Clark and Connie Dawson are the authors. And the subtitle is Parenting Ourselves, Parenting Our Children. And so the idea behind it is that when we are in this stage of life of parenting, we start to reflect a little bit more about what was it like for me when I was growing up? What was my family of origin? What was that family system that I am in? How has that impacted me? Have I had some holes or gaps or things that I was emotionally stunted on and I need to be able to catch back up? I can become more aware of that as a parent because all of a sudden I'm reflecting then back with my children at the various ages and stages that they are in. And I can think, what did I need then? And what am I able to provide as a parent to my child now in whatever stage that might be? So this is a developmental um, lens, an approach that I think is very powerful. What do I mean by developmental approach? I'm talking about the course of human growth and development that happens across the lifespan. And we have something called a biological age, which would be whatever chronologically you are according to the calendar. Um, you might be, I'm just going to pull a number out of the sky. You might be 37 years old according to your birthday. But there are parts of you that might be stunted or stuck or um, kind of atrophied at certain points where you've had injury or trauma take place. And so the needs that you had in the past weren't able to be completed in such a way or provided in such a way that you can 
developmentally grow into a fully functioning, mature, healthy adult. So what we have when we look at the world today, and this is why I parallel it back to um, when I see the pandemic or I see systemic racism or politics, I kind of use that lens that we've talked about with Pia Melody about the functional adult, the wounded child, and the adapted adolescent. And in that, I can see that ideally we would have functional adults that are parenting, that are in workplaces, that are in political offices, in classrooms, um, that these emotionally mature, healthy people are interacting with each other. But instead, what I think we find a lot of is that there are wounded children and adapted adolescents running rampant everywhere in our culture. And that can happen moment by moment, day by day. It is not um, that we stay in one ego state all the time. So for instance, if we start off the day and everybody knows what their um, strong point of the day is, for some people they're a morning person and that's their best part of the day, or some people are a night person and they feel more connected with themselves and um, more solid and patient or their best self in the evening, um, or maybe it's midday or whatever it is for you. You can have that time where you feel like I am showing up, I'm present, I'm here now, and I'm a functional adult. But then there's other times that we are tired and stressed and overwhelmed. We've talked before on Community Roots about halts with we're hungry, um, angry, lonely, tired, scared, stressed, those kinds of responses. We tend to go into an adapted state of being a wounded child or an adapted adolescent. So what we can do with this book today, Growing Up Again, is look at what were the needs that I had and how do I figure out if my needs got met or where I had holes and gaps. One of the things that I'm going to just tell you that is my very favorite part, I'm going to go to my favorite part first. <laughs> There are two charts in here that I think is worth buying the book alone. So if you have a hard time like reading a whole book or getting into too many pages or not enough time or whatever, there's two charts in here. One is called the nurture chart and the other is the structure chart. And we really need a balance of both of these concepts of nurture and structure for us to be able to develop and grow into healthy functional adults. The, the nurture side of things um, are things like joy, hope, self-confidence, and self-esteem that can grow whenever we have care and support. And so there's a six columns that are on a continuum that range from the extremes, which are abuse and neglect, if you can picture those on the two two far ends of the spectrum. And then as you work your way towards the middle, there is conditional care, assertive care, supportive care, overindulgence, and then neglect. And so the goal for a functional adult would be to focus on those two middle columns, which is assertive care and supportive care. 
when our kids are little, they need a, a lot of our time and attention to be very focused. They can't do many things for themselves. You think of a baby born out of the womb can do absolutely nothing for themselves. They need to be cared for, fed, held, their diaper changed, feeding them, all the different things that we have to do for them. But as they grow and develop and get into being adolescents or into our adulthood, we need something that is more of a supportive role. So we can step back as they become more and more capable and we can be there to help and comfort as much as is needed. But um, we're focusing on what does the child need? Do they need a lot of of the parents' involvement or do they, in order to develop better, need me to step back a little bit so that they can learn the skills that they need to be a functioning human being? So that's the nurture chart. And I'm going to go into some specific examples, but I'm still kind of on the overview here. The structure chart says that children inter- internalize protection, safety, freedom, success, and self-esteem from non-negotiable rules and negotiable rules. Despair and failure come from rigidity, criticism, marshmallowing, and abandonment. So again, we have a continuum here of six different columns on the side that was abusive for the nurture chart. This side is called rigidity. And on the far other extreme is um, on the nurture chart, it was neglect. And for the structure chart, it is abandonment. And so you work in the um, two middle columns for what is most balanced and um, healthy and functional. And we have non-negotiable rules. So again, this is whenever our kiddos are little and we need to prioritize safety and teaching them structure. But then as they get older, we have more negotiable rules that they're able to problem solve with us and have more input and decide some things for themselves as they are working towards autonomy and independence. So let me pull out a few of the quotes that I have um, specifically from these charts. And if you decide to pick up the book and read it kind of in in the parts leading up to this, the authors first just introduce us to what nurture is and why we need it. And so I think that's kind of fascinating. I was thinking about this concept of what nurture even is. It's something that I think that we long for, um, but it's kind of, I think, a little bit of an abstract word. I don't know if anyone else feels that way about it, but I was amazed when I read this book the first time many years ago. Um, The authors talk about nurture is about being. So in other words, in contrast to doing. um, And we store this nurture bit by bit as the basis of our self-esteem. So there's this connection between our worth and our being that cannot be earned. And over time, ongoing through all of the different time and attention and contact we have, we experience being nurtured and 
cared for. And in that, we find that we must matter. We must have value because we are being treated in a way that proves it, that, that, our, um, that we are wanted and welcomed in the world and that we are valued, that, that we have some significance and importance. And this is something that is inherent to all human beings, but can really get derailed whenever we're in abusive or neglectful environments or relationships or systems, because that's not always how we are shown. We don't always experience that we matter. Um, so it's important that, that young children need to be nurtured, to be touched, noticed and cared for. Nurture provides them with the attention and contact that they need in order to stay alive and live fully. And that's a direct quote from their book. This is how we can flourish. And I, I recognized in my own body as I was reading that phrase, that quote to you, that even to say that nurturing involves touch is sometimes a triggering kind of experience for people because there are times that touch is abusive, whether it's um, beating or hitting or sexual unwanted touch or something to that extent. Um, and the touch we're talking about here that is healthy and appropriate, I think of in terms of a baby that would have failure to thrive if they are not held and soothed and comforted. Sometimes we allow babies to be raised it, largely in a car seat or in a swing or, um, you know, propping up a bottle or things like that. Those are not allowing for enough heart-to-heart -heart connection and attunement and just that cuddling and that being close and that right brain to right brain, gazing and giving attention and attunement that happens whenever we have a more quality interaction. And that's not to say before anybody over interprets that, it's not to say that if you use a swing or a bouncy chair or a, um, it's been a little while since I've been parenting this age, I'm thinking, what are those little, uh, the walkers that, you know, the, when you put a baby in a walker and it walks around with that, it's not to say that you can't use these various things. They can be great and they can be helpful, but it is something to pay attention to. What's my ratio of time? Do I give my infant quality time and touch and holding and um, soothing and comforting, or are they spending a whole lot of time on their own or with equipment that is supposed to be um, kind of babysitting them? So going into, um, I'm going to go back to this chart a little bit and just say some of the things that are helpful on here so that you can kind of get the idea of this. Um, I really think it's quite amazing to be able to use this chart. And these are on pages 28 and 29 if you decide to get the book and you're looking for it. Um, I think the chart is helpful. I always think in terms of what does health look like and how do I aim for that? But then it's also like learning a lot um, on 
kind of what not to do or finding where are the things um, that put to words something that I may have experienced or that could be a dynamic happening in my parenting relationships or in my, my own relationships? What do I notice? How do I figure out where do I land on this chart? So I'm just going to kind of pull from some of these things. Um, in the, we'll start with assertive care. Um, assertive care recognizes the child and the child's needs. The parent decides to nurture in this way because it's helpful to the child. It's responsive to the child's needs and it's appropriate to what the circumstance is. It is comforting and loving and it is freely given. So the focus, this is really important that, um, the attention, the energy is going from the parent to the child. That's how we have a healthy relationship. And when we get into the other columns of, for instance, conditional care, which is right next to it, to assertive care, that really is meeting the parent's needs. And it is parent-focused, not child-focused. And it's tied to behavior and performance. So in other words, conditional care requires that the child earns their care or pays for the care in some way. And it's not really based on what the child is needing. If you take that further over on that side of the continuum, um, it gets into a place of abuse where you're relating to the child that in ways that are physical or psychological invasion, whether it's direct or indirect messages like don't be a certain way, it really negates the child's needs. So it's things like um, being intrusive with no boundaries, um, ridicule, humiliation, scolding for being in pain or threatening a child, things like that. If we go to the other side of um, We'll start with the middle, which is a healthy version of an older child is for supportive care. This recognizes the child and the child's needs. It is care the child is free to accept or reject. And what we mean by that, more specifically, it offers help, comfort, and love. It stimulates children to think and to do what they are capable of doing for themselves. So, for instance, we have teenagers that we're trying to love and sometimes teenagers in the stage that they're in, they're trying to figure out, do they want space right now or do they need um, to process something? And it's a, it's a dance almost for parents and adolescents to figure out when do we come toward, when do we give space? What's a good balance for that? So in supportive care, the child is the one that gets to decide this is what I need right now, or this is not what I need right now. If we go to the next column over to the right, it's called overindulgence. And this is actually meeting the need of the giver instead of the child. So again, it's back to the emphasis is on the parent and it really undermines the competency of the recipient. It is a sticky, patronizing kind of care that promotes continual dependence on the parent and teaches the child not to think independently and to not be responsible for 
themselves or for others. So this is the idea of giving too much, too soon, or too long. It's really more about the parent than it is the child. And if we go all the way to the right column, it is neglect. And neglect is passive abuse. It's the lack of emotional or physical stimulation and recognition by parents who are unavailable or who ignore the needs of the child. These are the parents that are, they might be there on one level, but they're really not there. They're not fully present or engaged or attuned. So these are the parents that are too busy. They're preoccupied. They are physically or emotionally absent, or sometimes they put up emotional walls. Sometimes this is true whenever there is um, mental health needs of the parent. If a parent is severely depressed and unable to engage, then that can end up um, neglecting the needs of the child, which is a really hard balance. I just want to acknowledge and validate that those who are working through mental health, um, maybe healing past trauma and trying to uh, recover and grow up and um, be in a better place to be a parent. And at the same time, they're having children that they need to also be caring for. That's a hard, hard balance to make. Um, the best investment you can give your kids is to be able to heal and grow up yourself so that you have something that you're able to give them. And obviously, we can't just put that on hold while our kids are are growing up and, you know, come back to it whenever we're ready. It's something that it's that back and forth balance of how do I take care of my needs? How do I get myself in therapy and do the healing journey? And also notice, you know, in a parallel way, that's why I like the title of this book, that we're parenting ourselves and we're parenting our children. We're kind of in this together in the sense of I'm learning how to reparent myself and I'm learning how to be the best possible parent to my child. And maybe it's that I am becoming the parent that I wish I had or that I needed that I didn't have. And so that can bring exponential healing and growth both for you and your child and the next generation. So that is really powerful, amazing, life-changing work. And I just want to encourage those of you who are on that journey to continue and press into that. So the messages I want to get to, if we are living into this nurture of assertive care, um, the messages that the children end up hearing that are sometimes unspoken, but they become their core beliefs. What they hear in our actions and interactions are, I love you and you are lovable. You are important. Your needs are important. I care for you willingly. And contrast that if we go over to conditional care, we're working our way to the left again on this continuum. The message that they hear with conditional care is that I matter as the parent and you don't. Your needs and feelings don't count. You can have care as long as you earn it. But don't believe you're lovable. You have to earn love. Now, I realize that's not our intended message that we want, which is why it's so important, I think, to get grounded on what are the messages that we're giving our kids. If we go over to the abuse column, 
what do they believe as their core beliefs? And the unspoken messages are, you don't count. Your needs don't count. You are not lovable. You don't deserve to exist. To get what you need, you must expect pain. So that is, ugh, like I just, my heart is gut-wrenched overhearing that how these kids end up feeling this pain in their heart that they really don't matter. You know, when I've mentioned this before, whenever clients come to work on self-esteem or sometimes parents will tell me that, um, you know, I want you to work with my teenager on self-esteem. That is really connected to our attachment wounds and our very foundation in the very beginning of our life and were we wanted and welcomed in this world kind of that the thing that I was mentioning earlier about nurture being the basis for our self-esteem like did we have time and attention paid to us um you know and sometimes people are concerned about um attention seeking behaviors or are we giving too much attention or they'll be spoiled and that is just a false understanding of development and what we need. We need time and attention paid to us so that we can flourish and grow and launch into the world and be our best selves. So that's the foundation that we need. If we have supportive care, what the child will hear as the underlying message, this is, remember, as they are getting a little bit older, they will hear, I love you. You are lovable. You are capable. I am willing to care for you. Ask for what you need. Your welfare is important to me. I am separate from you. I trust you to think and make judgments in your own best interest. So that idea of being separate is that I, I understand that you're your own person. That doesn't mean I'm pushing you away. It just means that you might have a different felt experience of something than I do. And that's okay. I support you and what you need. And I trust that you can listen to your gut and I will be there for you. If you need me, I'm willing to be. If we go to the next column, it's overindulgence. And again, this is meeting the needs of the parent. Um, the underlying message is don't grow up and don't be who you are. Don't be capable. My needs are more important than yours, or your needs are more important than mine. So it can go either that I will completely focus um, on my need as a parent to be able to feel important or needed or loved or respected. So I want it to all be about me, or I will so take care of the child and make their needs more important than mine so they're being ultimately raised in kind of a codependent, emotionally immature atmosphere. They also have the underlying message that you don't need to care for yourself. Someone else will care for you. So that, again, is problematic. It's going to keep them stunted in their development. If we go all the way to the neglect column, it's, don't expect to be recognized. Your needs are not important. You are not important or valued. You don't matter. You're not seen or known or heard. You don't deserve to exist. 
Expect to suffer to get what you need and be confused about reality. And I think what they're speaking to there is that you really can't trust your experiences or your reality because people might say one thing, but their actions show another. You know, they might say that you matter, but then they're not there to be present for anything. So you're emotionally, physically, psychologically neglected. So you don't feel seen or heard. So I want to go into all of this in so much more detail, and I'm trying to pay attention to time on this so I don't overly. Um, there's more to this chart that I absolutely love. Um, how the kids will end up feeling comforted, accepted, important, um, secure in a, in a warm way, in a healthy confidence kind of way um, that they can handle the challenges of the world and um, feel secure and trustworthy. Like those are such foundational, important things for us to have. But I want to spend just a few minutes on the structure chart so that I can give you some information on that. Um, if we are, you know, with younger children, we have non-negotiable rules. And this is that children are counting on the rules to put order into their lives that will provide safety and security to help them know who they are, to help them make decisions and to build their own self-esteem. So even though non-negotiable rules are firmly set, they're firmly enforced, they're not rigid. They can still be rewritten for whatever is the best for the family and the, the individual members within that family. If we go to the left, again, I'm going to kind of keep the same flow pattern so you, your mind can kind of wrap around this without being able to see it in front of you. Um, to the left of that is criticism. And criticism often includes global words such as never and always. It really negates children and tells them how to fail. Ridicule is a devastating form of criticism that humiliates and invites contemptuous laughter from others. So it's labeling a person um, and giving them a sense. The, the picture that they have with it is a little symbol that has like hooks on the end, like a square with little hooks. So it's like hooking somebody in. And then we go further to the left, we have rigidity. Um, to parallel with the nurture chart, this was the abusive side. So rigidity is supposedly for the children's welfare, but it really springs from fear. It consists of old rules that are written in concrete, um, sometimes in the past, usually for someone else. These rules often ignore the developmental tasks of the child. Rigidity threatens abuse or withdrawal of love to enforce compliance. It doesn't believe children should have a say in working things out. If we go to our older children, we have negotiable rules. So this is the healthy, what it looks like as they develop further. Negotiable rules teach children how to think clearly and to solve problems, helping them raise their self-esteem. The rules are negotiated, and the process of negotiating provides children an opportunity to argue and hassle and learn about the relevancy of rules to assess the data on how we're basing our decisions and to learn to be increasingly responsible for themselves. So that pushback from your kids, 
is okay for them to learn problem solving skills and they're they're sorting it out. They're thinking through the different layers of it. That's not necessarily a bad thing. We can learn how to negotiate and have conversations and disagree with each other and to to find ways to process all of that. I think our world needs a lot more of that ability that we can learn first and foremost in our homes and in our family of origin, if it could be a healthy place for us. If we go to the right column from there, we have a marshmallow. So this marshmallow parent grants freedom without demanding responsibility in return. So it looks like freedom. It's supportive, but it implies that the child does not have to or isn't capable of following any rules. So it discounts the child's abilities and gives the permission um, to be irresponsible, to fail, to be helpless, to be hopeless. And at the same time, it lets the parent look good or play the martyr or feel like they're in control because this is kind of that sense of I need to be needed um, as the parent. And so, again, the focus gets put on um, the parent's needs. And then the far right on the nurture chart, that was the neglect. Um, On the structure chart, this is abandonment. Abandonment consists of lack of rules or protection and contact. It tells children that adults are not available. So if we come down to what are non-negotiable rules, what are those underlying messages that children will learn? They will learn that their well, their welfare or their well-being and safety are important. Um, your parents are willing to be responsible and to enforce that we need some some boundaries and things that need to be enforced. And then when we get to negotiable rules, the children learn that they can think and negotiate and initiate. Your needs are important and other needs are important. Others' needs are important. And you must deal with how things really are. Let's look at the whole picture, the reality of the situation. And you are expected to be powerful in positive ways for yourself and for others. So they come away learning from this that that it's okay to, um, to make mistakes, that they can be lovable and capable and that sometimes we will need to be dependent on others. Interdependence is actually what is most healthy and balanced. Um, but they can think through things. They can ask um, others to help and support when needed. It's much more balanced. And that's what I love about, you know, using these charts and um, the continuum kind of feeling of what's on the extremes, what is balanced in the middle. And you can kind of look and pick and choose from um, things like on the nurture chart, um, you know, children experiencing fear, terror, rage, withdrawal, loneliness. Um, That is something toxic and abuse. Or if they're um, experiencing helplessness and hopelessness or pain in their heart, that's something connected to neglect. So you can kind of pick and choose around the different columns of, you know, what does it mean if I grew up feeling like I didn't matter and my needs and feelings don't count? And then I'm able to, to look and see where that landed me on 
this nurture chart and how can I do it differently for my kids as I'm raising them? Um, and you know, with the structure chart, it talks about, you know, in some places, the message that they hear is that they're not important. They shouldn't think or be or exist. You should be punished or abandoned if you make mistakes. Um, don't trust your own competence or on the other extreme, I'm not willing to care for you or I don't want you. Your needs aren't important. My needs are important. Um, no one's here for you. You really don't exist. I mean, these are all places on these charts are things that we can find of where people have been wounded and where they need to bring healing and to kind of revisit. The book is set up kind of like a work where I kind of call it a workbook because it's kind of interactive a little bit. It's not like fill in the blank, but it's kind of, you can pick and choose all over the place of where you want to focus your time and attention. There's, um, a great section on denial, um, which the authors call that the glue that keeps us stuck. Um, how we discount others, um, things like there's a whole section on this too, discounting and empowerment. There's so much good in here. I could like spend the whole afternoon with you and I've probably already gone on too long already, but I'm going to just, mention the charts in the back that I think are really helpful. And these are developmental ages and stages. And in each section, it talks about um, the job of the child in their developmental tasks, typical behaviors, um, affirmations for that particular stage, what helpful parent behaviors are, what unhelpful parent behaviors are, um, tasks that adults might recycle um, if they need to, if they are kind of stuck in that stage, clues for how you know if you need to grow up again in that area, what activities support growing up again, and just like in bullet points. It's so quick and easy. Um, so if I were to maybe just pick an example instead of just reading that out to you. Um, let's go to adolescence because that such a loaded hard time, isn't it? For so many people. I think it's a fabulous time. Um, adolescence actually lasts longer than we might think of it as lasting because we kind of think of preteens and then our brain is not fully developed until we are 25 or 30. And so um, it's amazing how long that stage is and sometimes stormy. So if we go to this, um, I'm going to say this is a time from, this part is 12 years to 19 years, the developmental tasks of the adolescent. I'm just going to highlight some of this. I can't obviously read through all of this or we'll be here for a really long time. Um, but it's basically to be competent and responsible for their own needs, feelings, and behaviors. And so it kind of highlights some of the different typical behaviors that you find um, with adolescents. Um, kind of wanting their independence, sometimes wanting to be cared for. There's kind of back and forth of both of those. 
um, some of the affirmations that you can say if you're in an adolescent stage yourself or if your kiddos are. Um, you can know who you are and learn and practice skills for independence. You can develop your own interests, relationships, and causes. My love is always with you. I trust you to ask for my support. I look forward to knowing you as an adult. And there's more that are are listed there under affirmations as well. Um, Helpful parent behaviors. Encourage growing independence and accept the identity that that adolescent is forging. Urging the adolescent to be true to themselves and to find accommodations with socially acceptable behaviors. What's unhelpful for parents to do? To use rigid rules or no rules or unevenly enforced rules, or refusing to negotiate rules. So a lot around that, um, either being rigid or having, again, we're finding those extremes on that continuum. Um, Another thing that's unhelpful is if you are unwilling to allow the child to feel miserable for brief times. Isn't that interesting? Like, it's okay if they don't feel okay. It's not our job as the parent to make sure that they're feeling happy and peaceful all the time. They have to be able to work through those different moods and states and um, different feeling dysregulated so they can figure out how to get in a better place. That's an important part of their um, growth. Um, One of the clues for adults, if they need to grow up again, in the adolescent stage is they're looking to others for definition of self. Like they really don't know who they are. Um, or it could be having irresponsibility or trouble keeping commitments, things like that. Um, I just think this book is so fascinating. I could just kind of sit with this for a long time. And there's also a section in the back. I'd just like to do a shout out for adoption. Um, there's, different important um, things related to affirmations for adoption. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say a few of these. I know this episode is going longer than maybe Samuel was asking me for, but these are just so good. This is so life-giving. Affirmations for an adoptee um, that the parent can be a support Um, I will do my part to make a connection with you. You can push, but I won't let you push me away. Um, that one could get kind of messy. I understand. Maybe, maybe that's hard to understand in just a word, but it's the idea that I'm still going to be here, even if there's, um, times of struggle and uncertainty, I'm still going to be there. Um, We can both tell the truth and be responsible for our behaviors. You can count on me. I will care for you and for myself. So again, it's that balance. Um, You are lovable just the way you are. I support you in learning what you may want to know about your history and your heritage. Um, There's just so many good things in this book. So I will stop. Um, only because the time tells us that we need to wrap it up. Um, 
it's an excellent book. I, I do highly recommend it, especially as a reference tool that you can just kind of come back to and, and use as a, sometimes in parenting or in our own healing and trauma, we just need to get our footing and our foundation and think, what can I use to encourage myself to help me right now? Because life is stressful or overwhelming. What's some truth that I can hold on to that I can be my best, healthiest self and, um, and have mental, emotional, relational balance? Like, what can I focus on? You can just pick up this book, flip through and find a phrase or two even, and just um, something that gives, breathes some life and some encouragement and some hope. Um, Sometimes our world is stormy out and parenting can be stormy and our healing journeys, you know, people avoid and stuff and deny and stay busy or self-medicate because this life is hard. And so the more I can encourage you and myself to stay in a place of healing and growth, and that gets to be for the lifespan. That gets to be, um, we never quite arrive. There's always more to discover. There's always more to be curious about and to go through the layers of And some of that can be, you know, really focused time. Sometimes we need to take a break and step back and rest. And something comes up that we get triggered. We need to pay attention to what's going on here. What's underneath the surface? What are some of the unconscious or implicit woundings or um, core beliefs that are affecting how I'm interacting with people now in the here and now in the present? Um, Gosh, if we would all do our work, can you imagine if we would all be healthy, functioning adults, what a different world we would live in. And the best thing I can encourage all of us with is that begins with me. That begins with you. If you feel dysregulated by your marriage or your parenting, your kiddos, your teenagers, your boss at work, the politics, the world, the pandemic. Bring it all back down to what you have control of today, right where you are. You can take this healing journey and you can take moments to have new awareness and growth that is going to ripple effect and change the world. That's what we do this podcast for. I am so glad that you joined me today. I hope this has been a time of encouragement and that there has been something that you could take away, leave as a sticky note on your mirror or a reminder to you that you are precious and valuable and that you matter and your relationships matter and your sphere of influence is important in this world and making it a better place. So thank you for being here and we will catch you again next time. 